So, Kevin, uh, I don't know if you know this, but um, Shane grew up with an, a rather interesting character. I don't say grow up, grew up with, but during his high school A lot years, of interesting characters. Uh, a lot of interesting We've characters. We've already covered that. One of which is remarkable for me because he's the, the one gentleman that I, I've never met, uh, never heard, or never seen at all, but I can do an impression of him. And it's, yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Nate, we've got to go drink some Budweiser's. And then that would be Rudy. So Shane, why don't why don't you tell us Wait, a little bit? What did, what did you say? Uh, yeah, it's hard okay, to explain. You have to actually. You have I can, to know I can, I'll Rudy's. T- tell you what, I will, I will, Rudy's. I'll say I'll say what I said, and then I'll uh, translate for you. But hey, Nate's, hey, Nate's. let's go drink some Budweiser's. <laughs> and it's hey, dudes. <laughs> um, why don't we go get some Budweiser beers and consume them? Oh, <laughs> I have so many so many wonderful stories about Rudy. Um, but he was he was older than us. We were all in high school. And, he uh, he had a, this awesome mullet, and when he talked, uh, his mouth was always full of spit. I really remember that. Like he, like for some reason, like he always looked like he was about to drool on himself. But and that's the, and he and he and he held his arms akimbo and gestured when he when he talked. But um, the first night that I ever met him, he went and bought us a beer. And on the way out, he's like, "Hey, dates," and then dropped the bag of beer, and it all broke, and he had to go back. I mean, that's 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 how we met. But um, my two favorite memories of Rudy. Were um, he and Dean were who they were best friends and, and Dean came into a little money and uh, and they were inseparable um, and, and when Dean came into a little money instead of buying a house with the money with the inheritance his mom went ahead and, and continued to to live in the trailer that she was already living in with him but bought him another trailer on the same plot so they could be they could be together and 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 Rudy lived with Dean and Dean and Rudy decided to move to Austin for about six months. Um, and, uh, one, one time we came and visited, uh, from Curvo, uh, we came and visited Dean and Rudy and we went, we, we all went to the and club. How far, just for the people who don't know, how far is Curvo from? Oh, okay. It's about 90 miles. Okay. An hour and a half, two hour drive. Um, but it's a town of 15,000, whereas at the time Austin was a town of 500,000. So big, big change, big change from the trailer. Um, actually they lived in Ingram, which is a town of 900, but, we all went out to the club except Rudy, and before we left, he's like, Dane, I need the credit card. And he's like, why? We're about to go out. And he's like, I need Budweiser's before the store closes, so I have something for breakfast. And uh, so he went to the store and got the Budweiser's, and he came back. And uh, we opened the door, and he had passed out in front of the TV playing video games. And um, he re- he realized we were there, and he jumped up in a full-on karate stance. <laughs> but he didn't know karate. Uh, and my other favorite story about Rudy is, as after I had graduated high school and, and moved to Austin, went back to Kerrville f- uh, for the summer, and Rudy was down there. Uh, he had moved back to his hometown, wherever the hell that was, and I think he was down there borrowing money from Dean. And he came to a party that we were all at, and another friend of a mutual friend of ours, uh, Rudy's like, "All right, dates, I got to drive us back to San Antonio." Oh, and he S is on the end of everything. Sure. Uh, dates got to drive yeah, back to San Antonio. Whether it was meant to be plural or not, uh, <laughs> just, just everything was S's. Yeah. And uh, and so Chris was like, "Rudy, are you okay to drive?" And Rudy's like, "Yeah, dude, I got a whole twelve pack ass down in the trunk." <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's. Uh, I have to say that. Um, Unlike the film, Rudy, that was not at all inspirational. <laughs> no, no, no. I, but wasn't the film, Rudy, wasn't he mentally challenged? So there's, <laughs> there's, yeah. there's, there's two mentally challenged guys here. Well, so there's, there may be more the parallels than we were thinking. That's <laughs> you know, a, a story for another time. Yeah. All right. Uh, I'm Shane Bartell. This is Ryan Newsom. I'm Kevin Newsom. This is Somebody Likes It, which... 
the show where every week we take an album that somebody out there really likes, but we don't know that well, and then we ramble on about it for an hour. Is that safe to say? That's safe to say. And have a couple drinks. Oh, yeah, a couple drinks in there, too. All right, Kevin, roll. All right, let's do it. So we're back for another week. This, again, is Kevin Newsom. We're going to talk a little bit tonight uh, or today or whenever it is that you pull this up uh, about an album that I never got around to connecting with, uh, but it seems like all of the rest of America did in their own weird way. and um, Suburbia did, anyway. Yeah, <laughs> certainly certainly <laughs> some of it. Um, and we're, and we're going to talk about NWA's Straight Outta Compton. That's right. So... Uh, so anyway, I want I wanted to start with a little blurb. You know, I I found it like the, there's tons that's been written on this record, and then one of the things that I thought was particularly interesting is this is another one of those albums that, in particular, like a lot of a lot of especially online magazines that want to maintain music magazines that want to maintain street cred will go back and re-review this like years after it's been out. It, that's mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah, no, it's totally true. Well, and they people are really and, hot and cold about it. And they yeah. go back and remaster it and re-release it uh, here and there. So there are different variations of it floating around, I have found. Well, Pitchfork in particular is particularly adept at, at doing this kind of thing where they just, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, Find religion on a particular record years after it's come out, and and in this case, like it's a it's a pretty interesting review. But I'll read you just a few sentences of their like a snippet of what they put together, and I, it kind of sets up some of the way that I look at this record. Before you get into that, I I just want I I want to briefly comment on the fact that we're back in the garage. We are back in the garage. The chalice is in full. The chalice effect. is in effect. There, there actually there are two chalices. There's a wine chalice. There's, there's a wine chalice. Ryan is. Ryan's walk, rock, do you rock the wine chalice? How does that work? Um, like, yes. I'm going to rock the, the Mike wine chalice. Yeah. Well, and in, in, the, in, the, the, Bill, Mike, in the Bill Haley sense of, of the term? Uh, I think he rocked around the clock. Right. 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 But in that, you know, or you can the stray cats. Yes. <clears throat> yes. As it were. Yeah. Yeah. So, so there are chalices. Chalai? Chalai. Chalai. I don't know. It, it, yeah. I, I will say one thing about, about the aviary last week. Um, it had air conditioning. It sure was cooler in there. Yeah. <laughs> no, sorry. This is my, my punishment to Shane for making us listen to that record last week. Bon Jovi. decided yeah. to sweat him down to bones and a head. Oh, That's trust me. Yeah. yeah. We're going to truly be slippery when wet tonight. It's gonna, <laughs> I already am slippery. It, it's going to be a few weeks before I get around to something that's going to torture you guys again after sitting in the garage again. All right. Yeah. Well, it's the least I could do. Thank you, Kevin. So, so let, me, let me circle back to this Pitchfork review. And it goes a little bit, this this excerpt goes a little bit something like this. And I think it's pretty interesting the way it's characterized. He says, in some ways, Straight Outta Compton is the archetypical rap album, the one you would send into space if you wanted to ignite a stellar holocaust. It unites the uh, paranoia of it takes a nation of millions with the chill of the chronic, 
while still retaining an old-school run-DMC-style playfulness, and I think that's true. The opening squall of Straight Outta Compton, Fuck the Police, and Gangsta Gangsta is still as confrontational as, and decimating as it was at the dawn of the 1990s. This, this review, uh, should be noted again, was written years after the fact. When was it written? Um, 2000 and like eight, maybe. Very like, recently, yeah, yeah. Reasonably recently. Um, the bass still throttles, the funk combusts, and the sirens deafen as Easy e dispenses with the tired romantic cliches. So what about a bitch you got shot, fucker? You think I give a damn about a bitch? I ain't no sucker. And this is the least misogynistic of NWA's <laughs> albums. <laughs> So it was really a long setup to read the last line, but <laughs> but I mean, but it's you know it's clear and and it was good to like rip uh, off like a band aid the record that we covered last week, but I do think this is this is one of these that it was a seminal record and and you know it I have spent a lot of time this week thinking about the fact that part of what aside from talent part of what makes famous people famous is their willingness to do and say things that the general populace that won't do find outrageous yeah. too yeah, yeah yeah and so i think this record is kind of uh, an example of that that's a great example especially if you look at um oh well, i want to comment on this real quick i i love how um in that review uh, whoever wrote it drops in the comparison um, to it takes a nation of moons to hold us back, and that we were just talking about this right before we started recording. Ryan and I were um, how how much similarity musically I found, but and I had never thought of this before. But with Public before Enemy last and NWA, we like twelve beers in or whatever. Well, yeah, well it's it made sense then, and it holds up today. I, wait, I, but you do have a point. Tr- uh, truth is truth, my friend. <clears throat> I should note that Shane called me at uh, like two thirty in the morning with a very urgent matter to discuss the parallels <laughs> wow. between wait, wait. <laughs> it was it, Compton and uh, Welcome to the Terror Dome by <laughs> Public, Public Enemy. Enemy. It was very important at the time. <laughs> well, and you know, I think what and I have I've actually not read that exact comparison, but I've read similar comparisons, and one of the one of the things that. One reviewer noted that I also agree with was specifically when it comes to Public Enemy, their their bombast is so often steeped in it in like historical context and politics so, and um, yeah yeah so it's the way that they go about that is different and it was like uh, Ice yeah Ice Cube just wanted to punch you in the face <laughs> like that's like, <laughs> he's like he's like I don't care what the history is like if you if you fit in this box like you're going down and there's going to be yellow mm-hmm. tape around. Well, I like that you were talking about um, uh, people that become famous, their willingness to do stuff that normal people won't, or I'm saying people that they, they do outrageous attention-getting things. Sure. And, I, and I think that, that there's such an element of showmanship to that stuff, especially when, in, in relation to that, if you consider Ice Cube's latter career. I we went from. Sure. Uh, well, let's we'll read some of Ice Cube's lyrics. He wrote or over, look up his IMDb profile. He wrote over half of the lyrics on Straight Outta Compton, but um, now he's better known. Well, these days he's better known by a generation of children who have gone and seen uh, "Are We There Yet" and "Are We There Yet Too" and all of those. He's a teddy bear now. Well, yeah, he totally is, and he's rich. And this is coming. And by the way, well, that's, several that, of these guys are moguls now. That, that's coming, and, and that's what's happened to the man that wrote. Um, Do I look like a motherfucking role model to a kid looking up to me? Life ain't nothing but bitches and money. 
Well, and this and this is uh, specifically that last phrase is one of the ones that's made it. By the way, could that be said any more any wider than the way it was just than I just <laughs> right. uttered that? It Life is. ain't nothing but bitches. Well, and, and money. Bitches and and money. that reminds yes. me of a couple of things. The first one is that true uh, that shame. I can't <laughs> true that. I almost spit beer in your face. <laughs> I, uh, one is that I couldn't like go through all this stuff without thinking that this is like going to be the Herbert Kornfeld of uh, of. The the uh, white accounts receivable guy for the Onion that used to write. The, oh right, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. So it was always always about the receivables with lots of Z's. Receivable, yeah, yeah, exactly. Anyway, um, I was like, okay, well, this is definitely going to be that. But then when I'm listening to the record on uh, an unnamed streaming service, they put ads in the middle. And so, like, you listen to a few songs, and then... <laughs> I encountered the same thing. And then... Uh, it, yeah, and it then, completely takes you out of it, because it's like a then, Bank of America ad or some crap. It's like, it's like an auto parts store yeah. that had, like, this cheery... Oh, it was when it was... Happy. Oh, 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 O'Reilly's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Life ain't nothing but bitches <laughs> and money. Oh, 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 yeah. O'Reilly's. Like, get out of here, man. You're going to get shot. <laughs> so... It's really dangerous for those guys. But they just wander in happily to the narrative. <laughs> like It was no big thing. So, anyway. They may do, need to do some research on their demographics. Yeah, uh, but it, but it, circling back to the to Shane's original thought there, like, um, I did, like, life ain't nothing but bitches and money. That's one of the things that, like, just made its way into the lexicon that came out of this record. And you think, oh, well, that's – that, like – as touch, cultural touchstones go, when those things just filter their way in. And oh man, that later, shit cannot be overstated. Yeah, I mean their the rap, their contribution to rap music or, or or the culture in general, or at least for for a period of time, they were so integral to that. But you know, even now, that ethos is is still penetrating um, popular music and popular culture, um, albeit in a more outrageous way. That was another thing too about listening to this. Is um yeah that shit's pretty outrageous, but it's completely mainstream in so many ways now. Well, I, I my first experience with this record, and I never heard it all the way through, but I certainly heard like "fuck the police," and it was when like me and my friends would be out just being knuckleheads on the weekend, you know, like going somewhere and drinking beers or whatever, and somebody'd throw this cassette on, and like you know their fifteen inch Rockford Fosgate speakers would be just banging the crap out of their <laughs> truck or whatever. And that sounds especially like my childhood. <laughs> yeah. While well, the kids go to park in a and, parking and lot. So we just thought it was like some fucking crazy ass shit. And now when I listen to it, it sounds like a like cultural relic, you know? But it, it sounds comical to me. Well, I mean, there, it, granted there was there was intentional comedy in a lot of I it. Mean, but sure. more than once they refer to their dicks as like what is it, uh, like Dingle Dangle or something? <laughs> like, like real silly shit. Is like, it Dingle Dangle? Right? Yeah. <laughs> like, it's like a brand of popcorn. I don't know what that is. God, I'm, I'm sitting here reading all the lyrics from Gangsta Gangsta, which is the funniest song on this album and, and, and I think the most quotable. And there's, I'm, I'm, I keep wanting to laugh the whole time. My man Dre will fuck you up in a minute with the right, left, right, left, you're toothless. Then they say, God damn, they ruthless. <laughs> It's so funny. Well, and the other, the other, one of the other things I noticed right away is that this, like the album artwork, also strikes the. It's like, so we talked a little bit about this when we did the the Beastie Boys stuff, like that sort of like looking down upon the subject, like 
Like you're. Well, no, I think it's supposed to be look like you just got curb shot. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. It's like this, except this is worse. You might be dead. Yeah. Or apparently, yeah, and they're still mad at you. Like you're dead, and you're down, and they're yeah, all take looking that at you, motherfucker. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, uh, you know what we should do? It, it, we, well, why don't we go ahead and, and throw in a a clip? Yeah, let's. In fact, let's start with. Uh, I think it'd be great to start with the iconic, the most iconic song from this record. And let's let's go down the title track. Let's start with "Straight Out of Compton." Yeah, let's listen to that. Straight out of Compton. Forty-seven is a tool. Don't make me act a motherfucking fool. Tell him where you're from. Straight out of Compton. Another crazy ass nigga. When punks I smoke, yo, my rap gets bigger. I'm a bad motherfucker and you know this. But the pussy ass niggas won't show this. But I don't give a fuck, I'ma make my snaps. If not from the records, from jacking a crowd just like burglary. The definition is jacking. But when illegally armed, it's gonna pack it. Shoot a motherfucker in a minute. I'll find a good piece of pussy and go up in it. So if you're out of show in the front row, I'ma call you a bitch or a dirty ass. And we've been successfully removed from Compton. <laughs> Welcome, everybody. We're outside of Compton. And we're back on the set of the Lawrence Welk show. <laughs> and Wonderful. you might not have noticed this. We, went, we took a direct route. We went straight. We didn't, we didn't wind around. Nobody's walking in. Uh, it's like, well, this is, <laughs> this is as if to underscore my pastiness. I always, uh, I always tell people that if, some people, when I'm talking about rap, that if I ever <laughs> designed just those nameless, people. faceless people, <laughs> that if I ever designed a, a golf course, that it would look like a honey bun if you flew over the top of it, because it would have to accommodate the way I hit the ball. So it'd just be in a big concentric circle to the right. Anyway, nothing having to do with uh, South Central LA. Still crazy that song. Where are you going with that? <laughs> yeah, just, I think I might have uh, let him I, keep going. I, you know, I how far along. I will say this about your impending stand-up career. Going good so far? Oh, uh, sure. Yeah. Well, right now it's a sit-down career. <laughs> yeah. Right. Anyway, no. You got to try uh, material uh, somehow, cer- though. Circling yeah. back, uh, all goofy situation aside, like, I do think that, like, that's a song that Sounds it really sounds as new today as it I did love today. that song. It yeah. sounds so good, and I found myself one. And I'm I'm sure this information is out there, and I just didn't find it, or I didn't look very hard for this particular snippet. But I, but I wonder, like mostly, I wonder about, I wonder about Ice Cube because he's the one who sort of like lyr- like lyrically he leads the charge on like I'm going to be up in specifically. Uh, cops, I'm going to be in your face, and you're going down, and I'm the guy who's going to do it to you. And he's like, he's pretty straightforward about it. So, like, it's I true. think about when this came out, and like, I know the groundswell that came from it, but I wonder about individually, sort of how his if that changes the worldview at all, or maybe not. I don't know. I tend to take a little more cynical view. Uh, these guys were and are really astute businessmen, but they really were living. I mean, in I'm not I'm not trying to take anything away from the fact that they came from you know life on the streets or whatever. But like when you look at 
like sort of the backstory of this record. I mean, Easy E owned Ruthless Records, and they had multiple platinum albums, not just NWA, but other artists as well. Um, like he had an eighty percent stake in that in that deal, and he also got the AIDS and died. He did get oh, the AIDS, and he fathered seven children by six different women. So. Uh, I guess it's not mutually exclusive that you can be, you know, well, and, that's, drugs. and he got his money to invest in in ruthless from selling drugs. Um, well, that and his partner was a was an older, um, savvy, somewhat wealthy Hebrew gentleman, Jewish man. Yes, I don't yeah, know why he, that matters, but it, because, for I some reason in the music business, they do really well. <clears throat> music movies, ultimately, like I think, I think the interesting. Well, there are a few things about. Easy E that are really interesting, not the least of which is the fact that because he's the guy that died in 1995, he's the one that, like, in a weird way, like, I think he sort of cements the staying power of this act because of the whole thing about, like, there's that whole, like, you die young and then people form their your opinion, their opinion well, of, like, what that was. At that point. Yeah, it's set in stone. And I did find what he was worth, uh, like, actually what his estate is worth today. And um, check that. it's been picked apart by his heirs. Yeah, no, I'm sure that. Well, I t- check. I take that back. It's actually what he was worth at the time that he died. Okay, and that was eight million dollars, which sounds like a you know it's a tidy sum. Yeah. Until you think about the fact that like Dre just sold Beats to Apple, and that guy's mm-hmm. a billionaire. A billionaire. He like, is literally yeah. a billionaire. So he's got to have the biggest house in Compton. <laughs> I'm sure that yeah, I just raised like four, like a whole block, and just Is built that a like giant... a reverse Beverly Hillbillies kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a, like a but a it's on hydraulics, like just. I don't know. Oh, and by it's the way, gentlemen, tacky, I, but... I did discover what is the exact opposite of NWA. Um, so I, I, I may have explained guys without attitude. Well, no, you're, you're well in a, in a sense, yes. Let me. There's a little bit of a, a long tail to this kite, and pardon I'll, me for paraphrasing. Uh, paraphrasing spade but anyway uh so i had a bitch of a time trying to stream this uh i finally found like a full uh version of it online that i could listen to on my laptop but i have a new 56 year old roommate it's like rooming with dad kevin um and he was trying to take a nap this afternoon so i was trying to listen to this record in the next room with an older middle-aged man trying to sleep next to me and it's it's not easy, and plus I also really wanted to listen to this in the car, which is how I experienced it as a youth. Sure, um, a young knucklehead, a youth. Um, is that something your grandma says? No, that's a that's or a, your mom. I mean, that's a uh, that's a Joe Pesci from yeah. Um, that's that's a northeastern colloquialism. I don't know. Anyhow, why. anyhow, I really wanted to listen to it all like in the car, so I was able to kind of cobble together like a, a set list of the album in its running order, but I'd have to like go back and look at it and reload it on a site and whatever and there was i was almost through with the entire album and i just couldn't get the i get find the last one online to stream so i went straight from that back to the radio and who was on but garrison keeler on npr reading a robert frost poem (laughs) (laughs) and that's clearly the same thing (laughs) that is a white guy without attitude if ever there was one reading a white guy without attitude (laughs) from very lake wobegon (laughs) yeah i I don't even know what to do with that that's (laughs) i was like yep this is as far away from nwa as you can get what were you saying earlier about the 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 travails and of uh attempting to 
listen to. Man, okay, so uh, this record must be a hot property because um, there's there's a version of it uh, online where the guy's like, "Hey, sorry, I had EMI was giving me crap, and I had to." take down the audio of a couple of them and then uh, i was also trying to listen to it on spotify and <clears throat> on your phone yes i was trying to listen to it on spotify on my phone and uh apparently they want you to pay for the full subscription i just haven't done it and i'll get around to it but anyway it wouldn't play it in order um and so it just kept show- throwing up random versions of it some of which were scrubbed clean so i heard the same song back to back. I think it was Gangsta Gangsta. And it was like, you know, the full filthy fucking version. And then it was one that like half the lyrics were just gone. I would love it if if, if the if the clean version of Gangsta Gangsta, like every time there was like like every time one of the words that they took out, it was just they came back in with, with somebody's like completely effectless voice. Well, yeah. you know that, that there is a that came close to happening, which is that the movie Friday Yes, uh, Ice Cube was in that. Yes, Ice Cube was in that. I went. And the Alamo Draft House here in town, uh, here in Austin, headquartered here in Austin, but now they're all over the country. Um, actually, did a thing celebrating. I don't know the twentieth anniversary of that movie coming out, or the twenty fifth anniversary, one or the other. And they reached out to the city of Los Angeles, and one of the things that they'll actually do from time to time is they do this rolling road show, where they bring like a big inflatable. Uh, screen and they show movies in the places that they were where they were created or that the, in the areas where that they that are sort of the yeah, logistical the rolling road show. My well, my, my ex uh, producing professor was uh, one of the principals behind that. Yeah, yeah, so so they'll show them like where in the places that they were that they're about. So they were going to do they were going to do the movie Friday. So they reached out to the city of L.A. and they said, "Hey, we want to show the movie Friday." In L.A., and we'll bring all the stuff out, and, like, we just want a place to put it up. And Los Angeles said, no. <laughs> and so um, and so, basically what L.A. came back with was that they said that the content of the movie was not suitable for viewing for the general population. And so uh, the Alamo Draft House got a little bit of a bee in their bonnet about censorship and, like, sort of the – like one of the things that makes that movie unique is like the fact that it's set in that particular part of LA. And so anyway, they cut a, they recut that movie and every time there's a like an F bomb or whatever, they just dubbed it in with like the widest guy like <laughs> darn. That's exactly yeah, what that's I want. Exactly, that's exactly <laughs> what happened and I went and saw it. And it was like it's a you know it's an hour and a half it's a ninety minute movie mm-hmm. and it's really funny for about the first twenty five minutes. Like, <laughs> and you're like yeah I, I gotta get this, <laughs> but um, but it was great and I think they served like white bread and <laughs> it's just it was um, it was touch and go. But anyway, that's I do think that this is it's one of the things that's a like sort of a humorous byproduct of this this record and things that are about South Central at that time is like it was a really serious deal and to sort of cope with it or deal with it or at the very least like Americans are always we're always going to find a way to poke fun a little bit it's true so yeah I do Shane I do think it would be a blast if we could you know you know take uh, lyrics like a crazy motherfucker from the street and just replace it with uh, you know my fellow neighbor I'll be like, I'll be like, my man Dre, mess you up in a minute. 
<laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, it would be it would sort of be hard to sell the radio edit of that. I think, but um, um, why don't you get on that for me, and I'll go ahead and make the cut. Well, you know what? Let's do this. Let's uh, while we're talking about it, let's play the only song on this record that was a single that didn't have. And I guarantee you, this was words. on purpose. You like, think that there's not? I mean, with the rest of it's just riddled with. I think he's being sarcastic, right? Them swear words. Yeah. <clears throat> the the cursing, <laughs> we say cuss around Cussing, the, around these yeah. parts. All right, so we'll let's uh, and and for those of you who don't know, we'll make this one a little bit of a surprise. Here you go, the only song on this record without cursing. Even if Yella makes it a cappella, I still express yo I don't smoke weed or sex because it's known to give a brother brain damage and brain damage on the mic don't manage nothing but making a sucker and you equal. Don't be another sequel. And we're back. Expressing. Yes. Expressing ourselves. Well, they're expressing themselves. The, the, I thought one of the things that was really funny about that track is like it sort of seems like the flip side of the coin or the antithesis of some of the other things that are on this record. Like it talks about like, you know, that you can't, you can't flow at, like if you're on drugs. If, and you're, if you, you, I don't smoke weed or assess because it's known to give a brother brain damage and brain damage on the mic don't manage nothing. Yeah. Like. It's the exact opposite. It's the exact antithesis well, it's, of every it's other It's the radio the single. It is. It's totally the radio single. But you know single. what? It's, it's the radio single, but also you have to think about it at that time. Like the predominant form uh, like um, – or that rap was taking um, – that was the most popular you know, in 88, 89 was that really Afrocentric stuff, Tribe Called Quest, um, uh, to some degree, of course, um, which you uh, mentioned, Public Enemy. Which you mentioned before was like really more jazz-based and like – Right, jazz-based, jazz but, but diggable planets. Yeah. They came a little bit later, but that, that similar form of stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. so message, but it was real message-oriented and mm-hmm. – um, that song kind of seems it radio single yes but it also seems like an attempt to do that message oriented stuff well and then you hear things like like the throwaway line about that mentioned subject and predicate and i was like mm-hmm. i was like you guys are just putting on like you know exactly <laughs> what you're doing you know exactly what you're doing some savvy motherfuckers man yeah no absolutely solid um by the way one thing that we haven't talked about is that uh, the NWA movie is going into production? True. Like, uh, and I, I just sort of saw allusions to it in, in my uh, looking up this record. So you guys may know a little bit more about it. I don't know who's cast as leads or, you know, um, uh, Ice Cube's kid is going to play. Yeah, Ice they're all Cube. pretty much unknowns. Well, Ice Cube, Ice Cube's kid is going to play Ice Cube. The guy that's playing, um, I think Easy E is a is a relative unknown. And Which one is Josh Hartnett going to be? Yes, Josh Hartnett. <laughs> you, you guys got to hear. You got to since you're talking about it. I'm gonna I'm gonna find it here and, and well, one one thing that I pulled. Oh, you got something you want to go through? No, go ahead and, and okay. talk. I'll find this. One in a thing minute. that I that I it's sort of um, uh, ties into this is that, that I didn't realize, but kind of makes sense. Having thinking about what these movies were, is it um, the the little. 
quote that I found with re- with regard to some of these movies that have already been made about this genre mentions that uh, movies about rap often bring in the kind of big bucks that can launch careers. Notorious grossed $44 million. I didn't realize that. Hustle and Flow brought in $23 million and 8 Mile, the based on the life of Dr. Dre, protege, Eminem, grossed close to... Does anybody want to guess what this made worldwide? No uh, idea. Well, I, okay, before we you drop that number on us, I will note that through no fault of my own, I somehow saw this, that movie twice in the theater. <laughs> Once was wait in the theater. I know. Well, and here's the thing: like I have a in I have a the soft theater. spot for that film. Like, but um, yeah, I would it, that that's a movie that like, you saw it twice in the theater. <laughs> in the theater. Well, once was a dollar theater. But who cares? <laughs> yeah, that's a destination you went to. Doesn't matter how much you paid. I'll buy the popcorn. <laughs> Um, no, no. So, so that movie, Ryan's dollar included, <laughs> made. Anybody want to throw out a number? Just at it. I literally have no. Ryan, I don't know. Forty million. Two hundred and forty-three million dollars. Jesus. So, like, that'll <clears throat> float that genre for a while. Like, yeah. But you have to do it. Like, the th- that's the interesting thing about NWA is like that. That you know they disbanded years and years ago, and so it'll be interesting to see what happened. But. I do. I found the thing I wanted to read you guys. Sure. Um, so, um, uh, a couple of days ago, I was seeing this. There was a some controversy about the the casting call for females for the the NWA. Is it biopic or biopic? I never know. I think it's biopic. I used to say biopic, and my ex girlfriend, English major, stick up her ass. Uh, like laughed me out of the room when I said biopic. Oh, well, I used to say biopic, but then I, I never, I never know. I, anyway, it's I'm it's sure irrelevant. We pronounce to me. it one way. Somebody on the other side of the country. is it like bruschetta or bruschetta that both of them are? Well, bruschetta are is technically correct. No, they're the, both technically but the correct. But we're not going in America. I don't say bruschetta to people I wait on because they they'll think I'm being pretentious. Uh, okay, this is an, yeah. a discussion for another time. Yeah. Um, okay, so I'm gonna re- I'm gonna quote. A little bit of this. This is this is a little synopsis um, of what happened. But um, the casting company behind the new NWA biopic, Straight Outta Compton, received a lot of unwanted attention for a female casting call that was considered by many to be offensive and racist. Uh, now the company's coming out to apologize for the insensitive nature of the listing. On the call sheet, the company Sandy Alessi explained they were looking for four different types of girls, and this just kind of has little sum ups. But the, there were A girls, B girls. C girls and D girls, and um, there were a lot more. They were very, very involved descriptions. Uh, A girls were listed as the hottest of the hottest and must have real hair, while B girls should be light skinned. But I mean, there were paragraphs of mm-hmm. of what they wanted. However, the D girls were listed as having to be African American, poor, and not in good shape. And they considered Beyonce to only be a B. FYI. Oh, so was that was that on their rider like blue M and M's like was that like <laughs> well the, no but I, yeah I mean they they just put the casting sheets out there that, that I mean they're wanting people to come out there and you know it's the casting call cast for the movie oh, yeah I see okay, okay right so they're asking they're asking for these no that's pretty funny though <laughs> I just now got it um, but they, they yeah they're saying like a, a B C and D and for different parts so like I guess you know when they're coming up and they're in the hood they're gonna get the D girls the the poor. Not in good shape, women, and as they are right, meteoric rise to fame, mm-hmm. they um, 
yeah, the hottest of the hottest. And also, I think that the A-girls were pretty much, it was implied that they wanted white girls. Oh, well, of course. Yeah. So. Nothing offensive about that. <laughs> no. I mean, yeah. but I mean, if you think about it, the people were, were really offended, and it is offensive and incredibly misogynistic, but we're talking about just, a really offensive misogynistic yeah. group. Yeah, maybe they're just trying to like to roll bl- with the uh, the nature of it, their subject. Well, uh, and one of the one of the reviews that I read said something that I thought was really interesting, and I think one of the things that we've all been tiptoeing around on this record is that like it is it's hard to it's hard to talk about because they intentionally write it in such a way that it's supposed to be confrontational. It's supposed to be um, uncomfortable. But one of the one of the reviews that I read, and I'll just take this a little bit out of context, said that by by this person's definition, the mind is a ghetto. And so in that sense, like we're sort of all like we're all universally we're all we all universally suffer. And I think that that's sort of what this guy was getting at is like like this record is about like that's their anger is the, their anger at their suffering and that like well, what, what gets like, me is the duality of like and this record feels real it feels like it comes from a real place I think the beats are great I think the music's good the production's it phenomenal comes from Compton Ryan <clears throat> it, uh, that that's that, the real place, that is a to, real which, place. to which I referred it's a magical um, land also where all the cars bounce up and down I will put a cap in your ass bitch if you don't will you up. truly do that. Well, I'll put a metaphorical cap in your ass. Uh, what no? But what I was saying is, uh, but they were really aware of like how this would be received, and like they could not wait to get the parental advisory sticker on there. Oh no, that's and they true. Put their own like you know explicit lyrics, you know, like and the fact that it got so much controversy and and you know senators were up in arms and what have you, like, like it it sold the most albums by. Uh, any act without having any radio singles. People want the things like, that they don't think that they can have. Yeah, like the. I mean, it was a perfect way for yeah. kids to especially sixteen year olds in the suburbs whose parents don't really give a shit about and the, the not I really monitoring that, what the they're doing. I saw that Ruthless Records came out with eighty percent of this record was bought in the suburbs. Well, and the interesting thing it's is astonishing that, that I kind of wonder yeah. uh, that I kind of wonder, and I'm sure somebody's on the record about it, but uh, not this record, but. Has talked about it to somewhere. to a reporter. Yeah, like I wonder how they felt about the fact that Middle America loved this record, and they didn't really necessarily write it for Middle America. I don't think like they wrote it well. No, I, I think they were writing what they knew. Yeah, sure. But That's when true. it came to marketing and what I was talking about before about them being astute businessmen, like they absolutely like wanted kids in the burbs to buy it and all that shit. They wanted it to seem dangerous. But I'm yeah. saying initially, though, I mean, what they were writing about, I don't, I don't. I, I, I feel pretty strongly about the fact that they were writing. I mean, granted, in in a self-aggrandizing form, but it was what was going on pretty Certainly much in their world, in their neighborhoods. And this is something that Kevin and I alluded to while you were in the John. Um, That's the bathroom. Yeah. In in Rapplingo, <clears throat> the bathroom, the, the outer yeah. chalice. <laughs> the ivory chalice, yeah. the ivory chalice, exactly. Whatever, Cer- c- ceramic porcelain chalice. Anyway, yes. go ahead. I like Anyhow, ivory. Kevin and I were having a little bit of a discussion that um, they really like when this record came out. There seemed to be kind of two poles of thought about it, and not a whole lot of in between. Uh, one of which was like this: you know, record is glorifying violence. Uh, it's making it seem cool to you know be misogynistic towards women. Uh, you know, glorifies his uh, 
drug use and and the sale and like and extreme violence and it makes it seem you know cool and then of course the artists and a lot of people who were you know inner city would say well no they're just reflecting life on the streets and to both of those i say yes yes it is that and yeah yes, i agree it is with that. you um and I, I i'm certain that there are people who are now dead that are so because you know, you know, maybe they get really got into this lifestyle because of this record and others like it. You know, made it seem like something that was a little more glamorous and romantic than the reality of what it actually is. By the same token, there's a lot of people that are dead because of that. Yeah, but I mean, but, that, but, but that's again a reflection but, of their. But also, this is what status. was going on, and it, it probably sure. exacerbated upon itself. Um, you know, like the more uh, that happened, the more people wrote about what was going on in their own front yard i mean why would you not yeah you know it's what you know uh, but again like i said self-aggrandizing and i mean i mean there's a lot of there's a lot of chest puffery as it were involved no, i think the, well in chest chest puffery i mean this is one of the this is one of the albums that became that made that a staple but i will say one one quick side note um you know one of my favorite Maybe the only Dick Cavett quote that I ever tried out there. That was when would we bring him out? Yes, uh, in the NWA because, discussion because he has he has a. We, we all know about how how much time he spent. <laughs> He's an authority, Doctor Dre. Yeah, I would like to ask you. No, about but it, but but I mean somebody somebody like way pretty way good back Dick in, Way back in the day, you know, I mean predating predating this record by easy fifteen years. You know, there was a there had something to do with. Um, there was another violent American situation. Maybe it was the '68 Chicago Democratic or Convention, or, like, or whatever, the yeah. Watts riots, or whatever. Anyway, his response to that was: um, people were people were seeing the violence on TV, and there was a lot of backlash about like, does that mean that there's going to be more violence in the street because people see an example of that? And he was like, "Well, okay, does that mean if we see comedy on TV that there will be comedy in the streets?" Like, like it's sort of just a matter. I was like, I was like, that's a really oblique, interesting way to look at that. Certainly, I don't know. Situation. I think it's brilliant. Think it's like, it's kind of brilliant. Applies. I don't know if it completely answers. The I mean, it doesn't. Not, but that, I mean, but that's but that's a good question to ask. You know, but, if if like a, a iconic black leader like MLK Jr. has been assassinated and. The information gets to. I love that you treat him with the appropriate respect of iconic by um, truncating his name from just to his initials. I was, I was going to say Marty K. <laughs> well, at least he didn't do him like a band. Like he's not MLK Junior Junior. Like the uh, that'd be a, all right. Let's not sidebar. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I think that's a, I think that that's a, a a brilliant quote and 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 what you're saying. But but it doesn't it doesn't truly sum it up. But I feel like a lot of times when people talk about when people propose the or or, or, or ask the question, um. Is this violence perpetuating violence, violence in movies, violence in music? Is it perpetuating violence? But that's a foregone conclusion in their minds just by the way that they ask the question. It's not is, – is it actually – is there really a question there? They've already made up their mind that yes, in fact, it is. Well, it seemed like just the discussion that was going on in popular media at the time, uh, you know, in the, the two to three years around, you know, and after the release of this record um, – there were, you know, people in suits and Senate hearings who were saying, you know, this is bad for America, and you know, it's only encouraging violence. And you know, the artists are going like, "This is just my fucking life," and that which yes, is true. Both are true, right? Like, right. I mean, it's it's undoubtedly it helped exacerbate the problem. However, like we got freedom of the press, freedom of speech, 
and you're allowed to say what you see as long as you're not in a crowded movie theater yelling fire when there is none. It exacerbated. But there was fire going on, and they called it out. Right, as well they should have. I mean, far, far be it for us to, to, who live nowhere near their world to tell them, like, you can't talk about the shit that, that you see. I mean, but it was it's not as though, and this I think needs to be stressed, it's not as though they were just, you know, just sitting on their porch and writing down you know the horrors of living in in South Central Los Angeles in that time. I mean, they definitely were creating somewhat glamorous characters in the certainly, middle of that. Certainly, I mean that, like, and that that can't be um, overlooked. I mean, white kids in the burbs wanted to, you know, be these guys. Life ain't nothing but bitches and money, implying we've got bitches and money. Yeah, and that's why you're looking up to me. So one of the one of the really interesting things I think about this record, um, I. I've been. Uh, we've talked in in previous episodes about some of the stuff that uh, Chuck Klosterman has put out, and one of the things that he wrote in his most recent book had to do with the fact that this record, like NWA, and this particular record, came out at a really weird time for Los Angeles in terms of its culture because it came out while the Oakland Raiders were actually relocated in LA and mm-hmm. they won a championship while they were there, but they were. And but they were so influential with that particular um, like sort of like thought leading part of uh, the fashion side of what was considered cool and like of the street um, that the Los Angeles Kings, who also became big during that time, because that's when Wayne Gretzky came over from Edmonton, like. They started. They what their colors. Know that whole story. Well, the the point being is like they those guys <laughs> those guys changed their colors from from the Lakers colors, which were uh, whatever gold, yellow and purple, yellow or and purple, and then uh, to to the same as as the Raiders, and so there was this weird sort of little aquarium window of what was going on in in Los Angeles during that time and what it meant. And so basically I guess my point is, and I think the point of the, the, the piece that Close Room put together was that that it became sort of a national fashion icon that was born in Los Angeles, but it was born of stuff in Los Angeles that was kind of temporary. And mm-hmm. so he, he was like like it at the time it didn't feel like that. They made it feel important and and angry and revolutionary, but you can't sustain. Well, that and I think there's forever. a whole uh, thirty for thirty ESPN doc on on that phenomenon. Yeah, uh, I'm, <sighs> I'm sure. You guys just wake me up. I'm gonna go lay down. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so I feel like that brings us to a place where. Uh, well, uh, I need to read. I need- talk about the. Okay. Well, actually, I do want to get back to what you were going to talk about, and then Kevin and I kind of touched on something while you were again in the. Uh, Bathroom. Lighting. Okay, yes. we'll do. We I, need the to. ivory chalice. Yeah, I would like chalice. to. I'd like to. Um, well, soon. I'm, I'd like to play. Uh, <laughs> I would like to play. Fuck the police. <laughs> but um, acoustically. Yes, exactly. <laughs> As you dra- you drag out your. We just put the mics on the ground. It's acapella. We'll take a break. We'll be right back <laughs> with Kevin's barbershop quartet version of. Boom 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 boom. But I'm hearing the police coming straight from the underground. Now I'm damaged. Anyway, uh, all right, Shane. Do you want to do your story now or after the break? I'll do it after the break. But before we before we go in, in, into the song. Um, 
Are we going to go to the fuck the police? I almost can't say it now. I've got I've got the barbershop quartet. <laughs> and have you noticed that you can't say police either? It's you like have to say police. police. I, you know what? When you said that a second ago, in yeah. my in my brain, I was like, he said police, I, and now I just did it. It's like the whitest man alive just said police. <laughs> police. <laughs> Um, so I, I just wanted to say that I've been waiting all night. I, I, well, I, I haven't been waiting. I discovered it earlier than I forgot. And then I rediscovered it a few minutes ago. So, I mean, it's been all night, but I haven't been waiting Get all night. Point, just to this clarify that. fascinating, Shane. I know. Um, okay, so this is a review by Peter Clark in Hi-Fi News and Record Reviews. Oh, God. <laughs> and um, uh, his, his quote about... Um, in the review of, uh, of this album is the lyrics on this record are unrelenting in their unpleasantness. The cumulative effect is like listening to an endless fight next door. Genius. Yeah, I actually read that earlier too. Like, I, he, he, he hit it on the head if you're in a bad mood. I just imagine that you're in an apartment and, and, and the people on the other side of the wall are... Oh, I've been in like the people in the same apartment. Uh, Dude, did I ever tell you... I'm trying to wake up the next day, so I get that metaphor right. a lot. Well, I mean, I, and I do kind of feel like we won't go way down the rabbit hole because we're going to go to break soon. But but I do feel like the difference between that view and the view of the people who made this record or the people who really connected with this record that were in the inner cities of America was that those guys lean into the conflict because they're like, this is what I know. I can either like I can either bow up against it or it'll run me over. Mm-hmm. And that guy's just like turning your music down. <laughs> well, I will say this. Wow, like, those are two very disparate ways of looking at that. I will say, I will say this. That. For whatever reason, I did not feel like they were yelling at me. Um, That's good. I felt like they were yelling about something, but they weren't hmm. yelling at me. That's I'm glad you brought that up. I was going to I was gonna ask you about that earlier, seeing as, as how um, your main comment on the Beastie Boys was that you feel like they're always yelling it at you. It really felt like they were yelling Well, at and they you. were always in the upper register. Do you feel like that had something to do with I definitely do. I don't know. Maybe it's because they were white, but, like, and that's mainly my peer group. But, like, it definitely felt like they were, like, I mean, I don't know. Like, they have really, the Beastie Boys, that is, have really sort of screeching voices. and uh, Two-thirds of them did. Yeah. Anyway, but but that's a, that was another review. And I think, I do think that... And you guys were like, have you heard rap? And I'm like, yeah, I don't feel that way about all of it. I do feel like that about Busta Rhymes. Uh, <laughs> he is yelling at you. That all is right, correct. Yeah. So anyway, so let's – got to go to break. Uh, they're mad at the police. Let's listen to – Wait, I love that. You're switching it even into your <laughs> really white – They are mad at the police. They're, they're, they're angry at the authorities. And uh, and we're going to listen to him talk about it. And so this, this was, was pretty much they the, have the authority to kill a minority. This was as we'll the, the most controversial track on the record uh, at the time of its release and uh, subsequent success. What's it called? Fuck the police. All right. Tell everybody what the fuck you gotta say. Fuck the police coming straight from the underground. A young nigga got it back because I'm brown and not the other color. So police think they have the authority to kill a minority. Fuck that shit because I ain't the one for a punk motherfucker with a badge and a gun to be beaten on. And thrown in jail, we can go toe-to-toe in the middle of a cell. Fucking with me because I'm a teenager with a little bit of gold and a pager. Searching my car, looking for the product, thinking every nigga is selling narcotics. You'd rather see me in the pen than me and Lorenzo rolling in a benzo. Be the police out of shape, and when I finish, bring the yellow tape to take of the slaughter, still getting swole up bread and water. I don't know if they fags or what. Search a nigga down and grabbing his nuts. And on the other hand, what 
Columbia down to the street top. Black police showing out for the white cop. All right. That was fuck the police. Or uh, what, what did I say? Um, bugger the bobbies. Bugger, bugger the bobbies. <laughs> and the reason that the reason that he said that is because I told him I had, a, I had a little something to share from the BBC. They actually did a song-by-song song breakdown of this record, which just goes to show, like, uh, you know. The BBC being the, the British broadcasting channel, uh, which is also, I guess, a radio network as well. Yeah. And online journalism. Pretty sure it's. Well, yeah. British Broadcasting Company, but well, okay. what, whatever yeah. it is, here's what they had I to say. I think you are right. They said equal oh, parts righteous political ire and bratty youth revolt. Fuck the police, or how did, how would they say it? Um, uh, fuck the police. Uh, it was bugger the bobbies. Yes, exactly. Lashed yeah. out at the rampant mistreatment uh, black youth in the, in the 80s endured at the hands of Los Angeles Police Department. Ice Cube nails his mission statement at the top of the verse with the blunt force of the opening couplet. couplet uh, fuck the police coming straight from the underground. A young uh, N-I-A, they're writing. Uh, got it bad because I'm brown. The growing racial tension between the LAPD and minorities, fuck the police, speaks to and had been a blind spot in the news at the time, but things would come to a violent bloody head. A few years later, during 1992's citywide L.A. riots. I just saw, um, for the first time in for at 20 years, um, some footage of Reginald Denny getting pulled out of his truck during the it L.A. Was riots. It was disturbing. It was beyond disturbing, but you know what made me feel... I never, I never knew this before. Like, you know, when they hit him in the head with the brick, um, one of his eyes was coming out of his socket, and then somebody else ran up and kicked him. Um, and I hadn't seen that before, but what I love is that... Um, I hope that wasn't the part you love. I said, but what I love oh, gotcha. is that at some point, um, uh, I believe it was a woman came to his truck, it, it got him inside his truck, and there was a, a large African-American gentleman right down the street who was a nurse that saw this going on and uh, ran in the middle of all this chaos and all this violence, ran down the street to uh, help this guy. And um, and turns out, like, and he jumped on the truck and uh, there was another person in there with him who was also black and uh, they basically both figured out that they were both nurses who had seen him on the on the TV and had gone down there and, like, braved all of this chaos and insanity to help save this guy's life. And they're... So, I had never seen that before. I didn't know anything about it, but... Thanks for bringing the room down, man. <laughs> what are you talking about? It's <laughs> no. completely heartwarming. No, no, I know. Well, no, it, it, it is horrible. It is. Um, I'm and just trying no, to... It's heartwarming. Oh, heart, no, it is heartwarming that that happened. All right. So let me get uh, off that, and I'll tell you something uh, funny, all right? All right. Let's, let's... I have actually a Reginald Denny sidebar. Oh. Which is... Um, which is which is just that uh, the late great Bill Hicks used to talk about like one step of the, on the gas. Well, yeah, that one of the staples. I mean, we won't go through the whole thing, but one of the staples of his bit was like was that he he tied it into the uh, the California traffic law where you have to stop anytime anybody walks in the middle of the road, and he was like, you know, that that was pretty much what may have gotten in Reginald Denny's way was that people stepped in the road and he just stopped and they pulled him out of the truck and he was like some of you he's like I'm Reginald Denny some of you may have caught me getting my ass kicked on the news <laughs> he's like but um, 
Anyway, and then, and it ends with uh, it ends with him talking with his supervisor talking about what a great employee he is because he doesn't ever stop and he shows up on time or ahead <laughs> of schedule. <laughs> He's the greatest employee. It's like he never stops. It's like he ain't stopping out there. So anyway, the but that again that circles back to what we were talking before about how Americans are we're wired to sort of confront things that are sometimes really scary in ways that are funny. Yeah, it was pretty scary. That was some scary-ass shit. Um, and to get away from that, I lived, at the time that that was going down, in maybe the exact opposite place in the world. A town of 15,000 people. No, no, not geographically, moron. Is <laughs> it Kerberg? <laughs> in Kerbo. Uh, a town of 15,000 uh, in the in the middle of the Texas Hill Country, and um, I had two friends. Well, I mean, rap was everywhere, but I had two friends that were really, and this is before it exploded, right on the precipice of exploding into the mainstream everywhere. And, and one of them, um, the guy that used to take me to work every morning, Killer Tom, we've discussed before. Uh, his ta- his hat it said Killer Tom. He got some letters pressed into it, and he always wore it c- cocked cocked at an angle i think the the he told me that the when he lost his virginity the only thing he didn't take off was his killer tom hat that is uh that is hard man i'm telling you yeah. um but another guy's name was judd and judd drove a van and judd was wider than tom if you can imagine and he uh that's pretty pretty awesome kevin can you can you cock that like killer tom kevin just yeah. put on a hat that the says ladies, ladies wanted inquire within and it has a, a stylish Pic- van picture on of it. a van on it. It's Speaking of special. vans, B- B- Judd drove a van, by the way. And uh, Judd, I remember the first time I ever listened, or the first time I ever remember listening to this record, Straight Out Compton. It was while Judd's van was dying; his it, uh, it ran out of gas, and we were coasting into a gas station. And I was like, "What is this shit? Like, all I can hear is the bass." And he's like, "Yeah, but but I really like the lyrics. The lyrics are really deep." Quote that is really a direct, deep. That's a direct well, fucking and, and quote. I, you know, I won't say they're shallow either, although some of them are. Uh, you, you, well, well, and I think, but I do again. I think that's a, one of those deals where that's kind of intentional. But however, you guys, I got to tell you one thing about the meat I, of I, I've got to I've got to tell you one more thing about Judd. Tell us, um, Judd would only drink. His his drink of choice and the only thing he drank. Um, and uh, again, we were in high school, but he was one of those Hesher guys that I think he was two years older than me, but he looked twenty years older than me with a wispy mustache, and he was he had like skinny ch- chicken leg. Was he into twenty one twelve? Why? But I don't know. But probably, probably. Rat was. Yeah. Um, but he would only drink. Uh, lemon lime Gatorade mixed with peppermint schnapps. Good God! And one time I asked, it's gotta him, be the foulest drink on the planet. <laughs> oh, without a doubt. Yeah. One, one time I asked Judd, "Well, why do you drink peppermint schnapps and with mixed with Gatorade?" And by the way, seventeen-year-old me didn't question the peppermint schnapps part. Uh, but I was like, "Why do you mix it with Gatorade?" And with a straight face, he looked at me and said, "Because it gets it into your bloodstream faster." Everybody knows that. Duh. Science. <laughs> that was the dude that turned me on to NWA for the first time. Well, you know, I think cool thing about uh, about diving into this record is 
like I say, I think we've we've swum around in the divisiveness a little bit, but I do think that they actually, by virtue of the fact that these guys were such sort of hookmasters, it's it it became more unifying than they maybe had actually. Intended well, the record is actually solid. Like if you Super take solid. away like the lyrical content and the controversy and the violence, the misogyny. Like the beats are. Those are a lot of things to take away. <laughs> then it's well, like okay. four minutes long. I know, but like, I don't. I mean, replace them with not inane lyrics about something else, uh, and you still got a good record. Well, and as a, as an example, there's a track on here, and um, I'm not looking at the track list right now, so it escapes me. But there's a track on here that is just "You Are My Sunshine." Yes, that, <laughs> that is just a backbeat, and um, and it runs for the full length of a regular, like you know, it's three or four minutes but i mean like it's a, literally just an instrumental backbeat and i was like that's kind of like them it's either them sort of mailing it in on that one thing because they had it and maybe mm -hmm. that's what it was but it felt like like this is them just sort of stripping it down to like part of their formula and what they do well i like the way their voices sound i mean i i don't i think my brain just blocks out the lyrics i don't ever really hear the lyrics I just hear the cadence and and timbre of the voice over the over the beat. Can we talk about something else too? Because I don't know the next time that it comes around to me, I don't ne necessarily know that I'm going to do anything that's in this genre. Um, I one of the things that I think is really interesting about rap groups is the way that they sort of call up who's next, like. Like they're like so the what? oh yeah like, like uh, you know I'm all, dropping it to easy yeah no it's like and then and it's, it's like hey motherfuckers <laughs> it's like and it's all that's a like, really good easy right it's, man it's I do like, him and Dick Kevin <laughs> be here all week always, yeah. but yeah it's always like and it's always like some new guy just walks into the room <laughs> like that they're that they just happen to it's the opposite of the Costanza moment where you drop the mic like they 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 throw it to the new guy he walks into the room he screams at everybody and then he says something about who he's going to throw it at and then that person walks into the room and it starts all I've, over. I've again. actually seen this in, in as white as I am I have been in a couple situations where I've seen sort of spontaneous rap battles and where they're like really good at doing that on the fly. People oh, who sure. are accomplished at their flow and what There's a lot of white people that are good at that too. It's a We keep saying like as white as we are. I mean, well, granted in... Well, it's a majority... But African American here's, endeavors. Here's, here's one thing that I think that is. Um, <clears throat> forgive me for stepping on you, but I think I didn't. Wait a minute. That sounded extremely uh, as though I'm 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 a fascist. I, did, I didn't mean it like that at all. I meant it like a multicultural thing. Not hey, dude. You know, there's white people that are good at that stuff too, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, you know, like, you know, I saw uh, Eight Mile twice in the theater. <laughs> in the theater twice. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. If it ever comes on, if you're ever trying to take a nap on a Saturday after afternoon, and you're flipping channels, and and you notice that movie's on, would would you watch it? I might. All right. That's uh, that's all you I need to say about terrible. that. I it's terrible. Like, I mean, it's definitely not the kind of thing that. Okay, so Kevin was researching it for. An advertising agency he was working for, and then a girl I had a little bit of a thing for that I was working with wanted to go see it. Neither n neither time it was my uh, idea. But had you already I, gone with Kevin before? Oh yeah, that, I went the Dollar Theater. That thing was, was with the girl. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> oh, that's uh, what you had a little bit of a thing for a girl, and so you just you pulled out all the stops. Went, took her to the Dollar took her theater. to the Dollar Theater. <laughs> to see the Eminem biopic. The Eminem. <laughs> yeah. We went up to the dollar store to see the Eminem. <laughs> All right, so we've got one more track to run. Do you guys want to do Gangster Gangster? Yeah, let's do that. Yeah. 
So that was Gangsta Gangsta, and uh, I wanted to circle back really quick to the one of the things that I brought up a minute ago. We didn't actually get to it, that I thought was actually kind of interesting, and um, I don't know, maybe a consistent thread, which was, I don't, so my thing, and I mentioned this before, is that I don't necessarily always get into things that end up mainstreaming on uh, at the same time that the American public does. And one of them was this record, and another one was um, was I I just in the past couple of weeks watched a little bit of the Ken Burns jazz thing, the documentary, and one of the things that stuck with me when when I was uh, going through this record was something in particular that was uh, somebody was talking about Charlie Parker, and that was that what really sort of made that guy great, and I'll get to what equates to this record in a second was that he figured out a way to sort of end on a note with each of his improvisational phrasing that uh, landed on a note that was palatable and made sense to the ear. So it gave him a lot of like freedom to roam in between. And I feel like that's something that's really uh, like very similar or feels analogous to this record, that the way that they like they fall like the rhymes fall intentionally in a way that is a little bit offbeat or like on the like on the afterbeat, yeah, they designed do do that a lot, to like yeah. propel you forward. So that's what that's what I wanted to make sure I threw. It. Where a lot of the 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 rhymes will finish in the beginning of the next verse, right? Yeah, or the next line. And you think, yeah, and, and they just pick and it up. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. there's not a lot of gap in between. And they're well, double entendres. They're like, it sounds like one thing if you cut it at one point, but like when that when you figure it in with the whole, it sounds like something else, which is kind of cool. Well, speaking of NWA lyrics, we haven't gotten into any of them. Well, and the reason that, that Shane wanted to play Gangsta Gangsta because he, he finds it to be... It, I think it's a, it's a great song, but it, is, it does have its funny moments. I think it's so. hilarious, and I think that some of the best, funniest lines, definitely the fun... It, just quote after quote after quote after quote in the song. But I'm going to go ahead and... And get into the first part of the second verse. Who, well, and is this something that we're going to need to something we've danced around? Oh, right. Yeah, we've had had to dance around. So, I, would I insert the word "gentleman"? I think we. Well, all... we've been dancing around the issue of the N word, which um, you know we won't even get into the controversy surrounding that. But it's just something we're just not going to use. Uh, yeah, of course so, not. Uh, but we're not going to use the term "the N word" either because. Uh, uh, alluding to Louis C.K., when you say the N-word, it you puts the real word in, in my brain. Head. Yes. So so we're going to get around that, and, and Shane's going to quote some of his favorite lyrics from uh, Gangsta Gangsta, and he's, we're just going to use – or he's just going to use gentlemen. I'll use gentlemen in place. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> gangsta Gangsta, verse he's two. Stretching. As done by Ice Cube. I don't know why. When me and my posse stepped in the house – all the punk-ass gentlemen start breaking out because, you know, they know what's up. So we start looking for the bitches with the big butts, like her, but she keep crying. I got a boyfriend. Bitch, stop lying. 
dumbass hooker ain't I, I you know, and then it there's just stuff I don't want to say on this. <laughs> dumbass <laughs> hooker ain't nothing, nothing but a dyke. dyke. Suddenly I see some, some gentleman that, that I, I don't, don't like. like walked over to him and said, What's up? The first gentleman that I saw hit him in the jaw. It's poetry. Well, and that's the great thing about that. Like, having listened to that song a few times, is like the way that it actually falls, like the way lyrically that it falls, that's another one of those Ice Cube lyrics where he's just like, I saw a guy, I didn't like him, and I hit him in the face. Like, that's really what happened. I love the (laughs) summation. (laughs) It's it's the Cliff Notes version of the NWA. All right, well, let's, let's, let's leave NWA straight out of Compton behind, I think. We've gone straight. Out of Compton. We'll be heading straight to... Where the hell is Pavement from? Uh, Good question. Uh, I'm, no, they, I'm completely they have, embarrassed. They actually have a line in a song that they did off compilation record where they... I can't tell if they're making fun of or attributing to R.E.M., but they say Southern boys just like you and me. I think they, they, maybe they're from... Are they? Well, I know North- Stephen Malcolmus has lived in, in Portland for a while now, but... Portland Stockton, California. Stockton, California. Yeah. From Port- Copton to Stockton. <clears throat> Portland occasionally claims artists that are not entirely their own because they spend time there. But, That's true. And great city, nonetheless. But um, I know he's made his home there, or off and on made his home there, at least. But what's the what's the record, Ryan? Uh, Slanted and Enchanted, which uh, I've, I've heard some pavement throughout the years. That's one that has just, for whatever reason, eluded me. But not, Likewise. But no rock I critics too. ever. Um, apparently seems to be universally loved by virtually every rock critic who ever penned a review. Um, I'm reserving judgment. Um, I love payment, so I'm really looking forward to this, but I don't know that that album at all. Yeah, I don't know it either. Um, Summer Girl? Is that the song, the single? Might be. Could we'll be. certainly find it out next week. And um, Anything you guys want to say on our way out? Um, this is. Oh been wait, Shane, you're two weeks babe. from now. What's that? You're two weeks from now. Do you want to? I drop, am. Yeah. Drop so, that bomb? yeah. So we're gonna go. I'm gonna go a little bit left field. Well, I'm gonna stay with the white guys. Um, I've been been doing really, really white music. Uh, the last couple of weeks, I've been wanting to throw some jazz stuff in there for a while, but Ryan really doesn't like it. But we might approach that in the future. We but should. I was thinking today. Um. I was thinking about giving you guys another torturous album. Oh, great. But I'm not. I'm not going to do that. Um, because we've we've only thus far done records from the uh, 70s, 80s, and 90s. Actually, have we even done a 90s record? Uh, I think Slanted and Enchanted will be a 90s record. Yeah, but I think, I think, think that's our I think we're 90, I think so far we're, we're only 70s and 80s. Okay. Yeah. Um, so um, I'm going to give you guys the uh, the Father John Misty album, Fear Fun. Um, which I know you guys haven't heard, and I, as much as I love what I have heard, I've only heard the first half of the record because I love it so much. I never got to the last half of the record. Uh, that's a great place to be, though. When you, it's it, like it's like being in the middle of a book that you can't put down that you're scared to start the second half of because you don't want to finish it. I've had it on in the background for sure, but um, but I haven't sat there and and, and lived with it. But but this. I'm pretty sure by the time we come back to this, you guys are gonna gonna not not give me a free pass for the Bon Jovi shit, but at least Never. it'll temper it. I think a you're little still bit. flogging for that, but that's <laughs> that's another time. Hey man, you know what? You come up with some 
horrible record that we can make fun conversation about for an hour. Well, I would, two. except for I would have to listen to it, too. Uh, I'd like to give you one that just you have to go If I'm the to. only person that has to do this, I'm fine with that. But there, there's, there, there's some stories out there that need telling about shitty music, and I think we're the men to tell that story. Mm-hmm. Well, and, so and coming up be, next, Millie Vanilli. Well, good. No, um, no, it's think, on my list of possibilities. I'm in love with you, girl. I think, I think to be clear, like just to reiterate, one of the things that we want to do is like find the stuff that like sits on the fence. Like that, there's some people that love it, and and maybe we just don't know it that well. And it could just be a case of the latter. Like we just haven't gotten managed well, to intersect that's, with that's, that record yet. Like something like that's certainly a bit of our mission statement. I, I certainly don't want to sidebar on this too much, but I have heard this artist's songs several times in the last week. Uh, does anybody love? Or really hate Billy Ocean? <laughs> get into my car. Yeah, get out of my dream. Get into get my. Out of my dream. I mean, I'm sure that guy packed arenas at one point, but like, <laughs> does has anyone ever met anyone who's like, oh man, you got to check out my Billy well, Ocean collection? There's a like, type of person that that fancies himself a lover of women, of many women, and that's. And you know the kind of guy I'm talking about. You know this man. He is. He's. He speaks in low, dulcet, sultry turn, tones, and that's the kind of music he plays I when he seduces them. Probably what it meant was that he typically parked close to his bedroom, so he's like, I wake up and then I get into my car, and if there's somebody there, then that's really terrific. I'm, I'm certain that's it, Kevin. <laughs> yes, yeah. that's just super. Thank you. All right, and I, I, yeah, I didn't want to drive <laughs> down super. that road too much, but it just occurred to me like this gentleman still gets airplay, or at least uh, on. You know, I just heard "Get Out music. of My Dreams" get into my car less than a week ago. Yeah, but I don't think I've ever heard anybody say anything really pro or con about Billy Ocean. You don't live in those circles. Um, do we want to tease the five minutes with feature that might be coming down the road? Oh yeah, for sure. So maybe next week, maybe the week after, we're going to start doing. Do we decide one, one or two, maybe two a week? We'll just see how it goes. But I mean, I think I think what we've decided on is uh, we want to we want to dissect and roll around in a song the way that we get a chance to talk about records, but on a much shorter... Shorter, session. smaller, and we'll, we'll, between five and ten minutes, and we'll put them out um, in between episodes, the longer episodes. Yeah. So more, more, more on that to come, but this is definitely something... In the works. In the works. Anyway, thanks for listening. This has been a lot of fun. This is Somebody Likes It. I'm Kevin. I'm Ryan. Shane. We'll see you next time. <laughs>